0: So I had a funny thing happen to me when I was uh, getting ready for this message. It's obviously about Jesus, and the Good Shepherd, and all that kind of stuff, right? And and so I went looking for some sort of picture of Jesus, the Good Shepherd, to uh, post, you know, in Facebook and stuff like that. And I was kind of dissatisfied with all the pictures. And I started wondering why they were all dis, uh, not really satisfying me, and the reason is they were all kind of, they're all kind of an Anglo-Jesus. They're all kind of the white Jesus, the white good-looking Jesus, as a matter of fact, (laughs) when scripture actually says Jesus had no, like, he wasn't very good to look at or anything, Uh, and and it kind of got me thinking about the second commandment about not making any images of God. And this might, if you know me well, while, this won't strike you as strange perhaps, uh, but I I started to think, you know, today I kind of get that because I'm looking for a Jesus that I like. <laughs> I'm, I'm like perusing these pictures saying, no, nah, I don't like that Jesus. I don't like that Jesus. Well, whose image of Jesus do I get to like Say is the right image of Jesus, and I thought, you know what? I think, I think there's something to that second commandment about not making images of God. And I, I thought to myself, you know, I might be better off having never seen a single picture of Jesus. And I started to wonder if, if, uh, if maybe seeing pictures of Jesus actually creates some distance between me and the true Christ because I start to form Christ in my image because I'm looking for a Jesus that fits what I think Jesus ought to look like. And so, excuse me. So I thought, you know, that, that kind of makes sense to me not to make any graven images. And, and, uh, Jesus tells us in this week's message that he is the good shepherd. And there's a difference between trying to make a picture of somebody and telling a metaphor uh, that helps us try to understand who somebody is. In the Greek Orthodox tradition, probably many of you have seen Greek Orthodox icons. Uh, In the Greek Orthodox tradition, they they don't depict uh, Jesus or Mary or any of the saints realistically and, and kind of their reason uh, their, their reason is is because they don't want that idolatry thing to happen with trying to make a realistic picture of what Jesus looks like or or for that matter the other saints too so, so their icons are always stylized right They're ne- they never look like a real person you never, never see it some of the icons could be quite disturbing but no one would ever call them uh, realistic depictions of a person. And so <clears throat> here we have Jesus as the good shepherd, and uh, and he gives us metaphors. He gives us ways to think about him and the way he operates and what he does for us and the way he relates to us, but he gives us pictures so that we can sort of chew on them and digest them, word pictures, metaphors we call them, instead of, instead of some sort of, like a photograph is kind of a cut and dry thing, and a painting really kind of ends up. Being the same thing if it's a realistic depiction, and so the idea of a metaphor, I think, is um, is more of a biblical way to try to to think about God, who is in the end un, in not understandable, anyways, because uh, His ways are above our ways, and and as high as the heaven is above the earth, so high are His thoughts above our thoughts, and and that certainly makes sense because anybody who could like say the word and bring the universe into existence is going to be so far beyond our ideas or even the thoughts that we might have about what this person, this being might be like, might what their existence might be like, what their thoughts might be like. So metaphors uh, and poetry are really the more uh, powerful and, and I hate to use the word precise when I talk about metaphor and poetry, but maybe it's a more, accurate way to try to communicate what God is like for us than any sort of literal picture of Jesus that we might have. So in, in a way, I think pictures of Jesus might actually get in the way of Jesus actually being in our life. So that's my kind of crazy thought, but I want to go through this, uh, this idea of Jesus the Good Shepherd and, and just kind of think through it. The, the things that Jesus says about himself And that's going to tell us a lot about how God relates to us, right? So he says, uh, the person who doesn't enter by the sheep, the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another route, that, that person is a thief and a robber. But the one who comes in by the door is the shepherd. So when I read that, the first thing I thought of is, uh, I thought of the different, you know, sometimes, uh, and even in the early days, Christianity was called a cult, um, and and some people still call it a cult but one of the marks of cults is <clears throat> secrecy and a progressive revelation of deeper truths to those who have earned the right to learn the deep truths hidden rooms secret handshakes all that kind of stuff and what i see jesus saying here is look there's there's i'm not here for secrets i'm not here to sneak in there's no this is not a. This is not a sneaky thing. It's not a hidden thing. The shepherd is the one who walked right in through the front door, and and that's the way God wants to work with. These. He doesn't. Have, he's not hiding things until later. Now you might not be able to receive things yet because your your spirit isn't ready to get them. But that doesn't mean they're not out in the open for you to receive when you're ready. Jesus is not a sneak. He's not. He's not secretly doing things. Well, I, I shouldn't. He might be doing things that you don't know about, but that's just because you don't know about them, not because he's trying to be a sneak. Um, and, and so, when I read this, the, the first thing I, uh, that occurred to me was just this idea that it that our faith is in in the God of openness, the God who reveals Himself the best He can. He's not He's not initiated a sequence of secret ceremonies to come closer and closer to Him. He's the one who sent His Son Jesus. Uh, to reveal himself as fully and completely as humans could possibly understand who God is and how God thinks about us and the way God feels about us and the relationship that God wants with us. He sent a human, living, breathing idea, Jesus, his own son, to show us what he's like. There's no sneakiness about it. It's clear. It's love. It's not power, it's love, it's grace it's truth. That's what Jesus came full of grace and truth. And so we see God putting his full self forward on display for us, coming right through the front door. This is who I am. This is what it is. If you, uh, Those who want to save their lives will lose it, but those who lose their lives for my sake will save it. There's, there's, it's, not, uh, it's not hidden. There's no sneakiness about it. Straight through the front door. So Jesus says that the one who enters by the door is the sheep, and that's Jesus. He's coming straight through the front door. And, uh, and then he says his sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He calls them by name. I just think that's such a tender, uh, a, a beautiful thing, uh, because, you know, names have power. I don't know if you ever had this experience when you were a child. But most children have this experience, and I remember it. Occasionally, we would be somewhere where uh, I was was trying to, uh, I need to get my mom's attention for something, and it would be like a public place. It would be like either busy or loud, or there were a lot of kids around or whatever, and I would say, Mom, and she wouldn't turn around. And then I'd say, Mom, and she wouldn't turn around. And so you know what I did next, right? I yelled her first name. I'm like eight years old, Barbara, <laughs> and that got her attention. Right, her name got her attention because our names are our personal attention getter. Right, and this has two sides to it. One uh, that isn't mentioned in this in this passage is that God gives us His name. Uh, God, when when Moses was at the burning bush, God said, "Well, in one in one way, I can't really be named because to name something is to define it." But if you need something to call me, I am Yahweh in Hebrew. And so God gave us his name. But in this instance, he tells us that he knows our name too. He has that tender familiarity. He's not yelling out, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you, and you. He's calling you by name. And I I just think that's such a beautiful thing. Uh, It's the only way to get people's attention in a crowd is to know their name. And God knows your name, and he's calling your name. In particular, Jesus says the hairs on your head are numbered, which gets easier and easier for some people. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen to me. I think I'm going to keep it, which makes me happy. Although, I don't know, if I, if I started to go bald, I'd probably just shave my head, because cue ball is in right now. But he knows our name. The very hairs on our head are numbered. His knowledge of you is 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 close, like a brother, like a friend, like a parent. You know, parent is, uh, Father is the, is the analogy that Jesus gives us as the best analogy for who God is. And, and you can, I don't want to go into gender issues or whatever, but parent. Um, and, you know, nobody knows a child like their parent. And, in fact, I think that uh, it may not be as true when kids get older and become teenagers and older, but when kids are younger, in their five, six, seven, eight, nine, parents know kids better than kids know themselves. They do, if they're paying attention, anyways. They know what the kid's gonna do, how the kid's gonna react, what the kid's gonna feel like, all these things. And occasionally kids surprise us, but we know our kids quite well and often better than they do. And that's the way God is with us, because Jesus says we're like his children, you know, we're God's children. In fact, we have to become like that if we're gonna even enter the kingdom of God. So he knows our name, and he calls us by name. So if Jesus is calling you, he's calling you by name to follow him, what, what is the thing that has to happen to complete that thing of Jesus calling you by name? You have to listen. You have to listen. So that's, that's the first question I would ask you. This morning, sort of a reflective question—not a judgment question, but a reflective question. Do you spend any time listening for the voice of Christ in your life? Because we, I mean, and, and certainly that can come through the Word. The Word is awesome. The the Word is the sword of the Spirit. It's the way God brings brings uh, God brings His truth into our life through the Word in ways that kind of. Uh, that hit us in all sorts of ways at all sorts of times. Um, and prayer is great. When we ask God things, we pour our hearts out to him. We thank him, which is awesome. We, we, we can present our requests to God with thanksgiving and the peace of God. will keep our hearts and minds in faith in Christ Jesus, which is awesome. And these are all great things, but do you ever just listen? Do you ever just listen? Because if you don't listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you Jesus won't guide you or whatever, but I think you might be missing out on part of what Christ wants to do in your life. If you never spend time listening, receiving, just not, not, not reading, because that's like, that's like the mental process, right? Um, if you spent all the time reading about your spouse or your kid, but you never actually sat and listened to them, your relationship would be very different. And so the, the, the one thing I see, first thing I see in here that I really want to encourage people to do is to just take time to listen, to pause and be quiet and listen. And there's different ways people do this. Some people just sit quietly. That's what I do. Uh, you know, you can call it meditation. You can call it sitting quietly, listening to God or whatever you want. I'm sure Jesus did it too, because... It says he went out to pray all night, and listening has always been a part of prayer. And one, you can't really imagine Jesus praying the liturgy all night long, you know, uh, to himself. So one of the things that we always need to do is to sit and listen. Just sit quietly. Just kind of remove all the distractions and sit and say, okay, God, I'm here. Uh, if you have something to say to me, I'm here to listen. And then see if you can't get quiet enough to just I'm not saying you're going to hear voices, and if you do hear voices, I'd be a little bit worried about you. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it allows Christ a space to do things in your spirit. Uh, another way that people listen is through journaling. They're just quiet, and then they kind of write, and they're quiet, and they write. They kind of write their thoughts out. And then the Holy Spirit works through the writing of those thoughts and feeds back into their heads. And and things like that. These are all good ways to listen. But he's calling your name, and uh, you got to listen. You got to take time to listen if you if you want to hear the voice of the master guiding you. <clears throat> and and everybody has you know. Every single person is an individual. That's what that's what Paul writes over and over and over again. Everybody's been given diffs, different gifts and talents and abilities uh, that are all to be used in service uh, to the church, to the people, in, in love for mankind, right? And when I was thinking of the sheep, I was also thinking, you know, they all go the same direction if they're following the shepherd, but they... <laughs> They, they don't all walk in a line. I don't know. I don't know if you ever seen cows or sheep or whatever, but when they when they're in like a herd, right? I mean, that that's really part of what Jesus is comparing the church to is a herd, where, where everybody's kind of like kind of they're got their own path. They're kind of weaving in and out and kind of making their way and stuff. They're all going the same direction. They're all following Jesus. They're all kind of making their own way as they follow Jesus too. I think that's a great picture of the church is it it's we're all following Jesus, kind of making our own way we got to figure it out but we're all following the good shepherd we all make our own path we're not is it the christ, christianity is not a lockstep line of everybody doing exactly the same thing all the time christianity is every single person following christ kind of like a herd we're all kind of going in the same direction but it's it's not um it's not some sort of loss, and that's what, that's the limit of Christian doctrine. By the way, I love, doctrine just means teaching. It's teaching about Christ. It's awesome. It's part of the whole deal for sure, a vital part, but it's not the only part. The, the doctrine helps us get in line and and get 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 oriented in the right direction, but it's it's not the whole piece of it. Everybody's got to figure out what their part of this whole beautiful thing we call the church is, and so I think again the sheep metaphor. It is fantastic. And that's what we see in the early church, the, the passage from Acts, Acts 2.42. It's This isn't like, uh, there, there's no fear here. Uh, in Acts 2.42, it says, you know, that everybody had all their stuff together and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayer. And it wasn't because someone said they had to. It wasn't like, you better do this or you're going to hell. It was like the response to the good news. Peter had preached to them the good news, and they said, well, what should we do in response to this? And Peter said, repent. Think differently about life. Think differently about what you're created for, how you relate to other people. And their response was that they all committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers, and they met publicly in the temple every day, by the way, because they didn't think they weren't Jewish they just thought they were Jewish people who believed the Messiah had come. So, what better place for Jewish people who believe the Messiah has come than to meet in the temple? <clears throat> but where was I? Uh, oh yeah, yeah. That that was a natural response. That, that, that's the natural response when, when we when we see the shepherd. The shepherd in in this culture, anyways, the shepherd works by. Believe it or not, the shepherd works by love and trust. Love and trust. Uh, He says the the sheep follow the voice of the shepherd. That's trust. That's not force. That's trust. That's not fear. They hear the voice, and he goes in front of them and goes ahead of them, which he has done. He has gone ahead of us into the grave and come out the other side to tell us everything's going to be okay. So when you face the grave you're following the shepherd and you can think of yourself as Jesus has gone on ahead of you and you're one of the sheep following the shepherd. Jesus has gone into the grave and come out the other side. And when you go into the grave, you're not going, obviously we don't, we we, we can't, we don't have like a nice description of what's beyond the grave or whatever, but we know who's gone through it and come out the other side. And so when you face, face the grave, which we all will, you can think of yourself as following the shepherd through that and out the other side where Jesus has already shown us that there is actually a glorified new life waiting for us on the other side. and the shepherd works by trust and love. The, the, I've been told that the shepherds actually do that do the sheep do actually follow the shepherd in the Middle East. I'm, I am a total like suburban city boy so I don't know much except what I read about but that's what I read about and I read another story. I read a story about some tourists who are on a bus. They were as a biblical bus, a biblical tour of the Holy land. And, and, you know, you, you're like observing all this stuff and looking out the window and asking about that and asking about that and asking about that. And one of the, one of the people, as they were driving along the road, noticed a herd of sheep and there was a guy behind the sheep and he, and, you know, he's kind of whacking with the stick a little bit and stuff, getting them all moving. He's yelling and, you know, hi, you know, like that. And, uh, and the sheep are moving and he's driving them forward. And the tourist asked the tour guide, I thought Jesus said the shepherd leads from the front, that the sheep hear the voice and they follow him. And the tour guide said, that's that's not a shepherd, that's the butcher. So if you're being led by fear, the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Jesus says he's the good shepherd and we hear his voice and we follow him and in the beginning we see the people gathering together all the time and it's not it's not because they're afraid it's because their lives have been changed and they're hearing the voice of the shepherd and it's it, it's a fully voluntary it's their joy to do that they're not doing that to avoid something bad they're doing that because it's great and Jesus has touched their life, and this is a huge thing. The the difference between following out of fear and following out of love, is the difference between what Jesus calls abundant life and not abundant life. And so, and and definitely, uh, there's a piece of us uh, because our power with respect to God is so unmentionably small that that fear can be part of it. And there are certainly preachers of fear out there as well. But Jesus wasn't one of them. Not not to anybody who turned to him. Everybody who turned to him found that he was full of what? Grace and truth. That's what he came for. And so w- when we hear Jesus the Good Shepherd, what we're thinking of, or, or what we should be thinking of, what, what he wants us to think of is that he leads with love and trust, not with force and fear. Jesus leads with love and trust, not with force and fear. Don't follow Jesus. Don't do what Jesus says because you're afraid of what will happen otherwise if you're afraid i encourage you to just stop pick one thing that pick one thing that jesus said to do and really try to do that because you trust jesus in how to live and then see how it comes out and you're going to find out that jesus is trustworthy but then you'll really find out that jesus is trustworthy and you can follow him in love instead of fear you can follow him in trust Instead of feeling like you're forced to, because there's a lot of Christians I think who are, are living out of the law. they're living out of this idea of you must do things to make God happy and get into heaven, which is exactly not what Jesus said, right? It's not what Peter said at Pentecost, repent. Turn away, turn away, turn away, turn to Jesus. think differently about your life. Jesus beckons us in love and trust to follow him. He's not trying to push anybody. He's not trying to the only time Jesus ever used fear was just to get people's attention, not as a not as a way to move people forward in their spiritual life. So we see the Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd leads his sheep with love and trust, with his own voice. he works through trust not force and love not fear and so i was i was thinking back to those pictures and i was thinking how often i i end up making god in my own image i project my own idea of what god is like Onto my prayer life, onto my faith life, because uh, we all take our ideas of God from somewhere, and most often, it's our parents as the strongest influence in the way we think of God. And this image of the Good Shepherd is better than any picture you are ever going to get. I really think I might get rid of my pictures of Jesus. Um, I don't know. Uh, this, this is just so much better than any picture because I can project I can project my idea about Jesus onto pictures. And, uh, and that allows me to pick and choose my Jesus instead of letting Christ be Christ in my life. So Jesus is our Good Shepherd. The Good Shepherd loves his sheep. The good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He calls them by name. And they follow him because they hear the voice of the one who loves them enough to die for them. And that's that's our Lord Jesus. And that's who we worship today in his name. Let's take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the chance to get together. Thank you. Thank you for uh, metaphors that communicate yourself to us. Thank you for Jesus word picture that he's the good shepherd, the one that lays down his life for the sheep. The one the sheep heart leap, the she, the heart of the sheep leap when they hear the shepherd's voice and they follow him willingly, not out of fear and force, but out of love and trust. Help us always to be moving deeper and deeper into love and trust and further and further away from fear and force. As we work out our faith, as, as we, we continue to, to walk through life in this sort of herd of sheep, this mob that is called the church, and we're kind of walking all over the place trying to figure this thing out, we know that we follow the shepherd who loves us. And we don't know everything. In fact, we don't know very much a lot of the time, but we know the shepherd loves us and has laid down his life for us is gone through death, and come out the other side. So help our hearts to be open to follow you, Jesus, in love and trust. And we ask that in your precious name. Amen.